what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. I am Alan, and over across from me is Chris. Hello, podcasting land. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing really well. You ready to brush up on your foreign languages? Because we got a lot of them to use tonight. <laughs> this is true. We're going to be reviewing two movies. Uh, both of them foreign films. One of them is The Great Beauty, which was the uh, winner for Best Foreign Picture in this year's recent Academy Awards. We'll be talking about that film, followed by the Saudi Arabian film Wajda, which was from earlier in the year, was also Saudi Arabia's entry into the Academy Awards, did not get a nomination, but we still had an opportunity to see it just recently. So we're going to talk about both of those two films, the uh, very different, interesting cultural experiments that those films are. Uh, when we get back from those two reviews, we're going to talk a little movie news. Speaking of the Oscars, we're going to recap very quickly just some of our thoughts and reactions to the Oscar ceremony. Chris, you and I gave our Oscar picks at one of the previous episodes. We did. We got to look and see how we did. And and our listeners may remember that there's a contest that went with that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm already dreading getting to that section of the show. Right. Uh, and then we'll finish up the show with our online recommendations or films you may have missed that we want to highly encourage you to check out when you have a chance. So a lot of stuff going on in the show, a lot of foreign language names to butcher in the descriptions of the shows. So let's get right on into it with our first review of the Academy, uh, Academy Award winning film, The Great Beauty. Quando sono arrivato a Roma, a 26 anni, sono precipitato abbastanza presto in quello che si potrebbe definire il vortice della mondanità. Io non volevo essere semplicemente un mondano. Volevo diventare il re dei mondani. Chris, in our film that we actually just saw minutes ago i mean honestly we just left the movie theater from seeing this film the great beauty uh two and a half hour film a lot of stuff to process a lot of stuff to digest here but let me kind of recap the film very quickly there's a lot going on in this film but i think we can summarize it fairly succinctly here we follow the character jep gambardella who is an italian man living in rome and he just hit his 65th birthday. He is the pinnacle of the high life in Rome. He has rooftop parties that are just known throughout the city. He beds women on a frequent basis all over the town. He's a writer who had a very successful book back in his 20s or ages 20, 30s. And it's just kind of been coasting through life after that. He's got the great life. He dresses exquisitely. He's got a great little playboy mansion up on the top of the building. But by the time he turns 65 and after that, he starts to experience things around him where he questions a lot of his life and who he is and, and what he wants to be. That's about the best I can sum it up. Uh, I think that's fabulous. Yeah. Goes a lot more directions than that over the course of two and a half hours, but that's it to an, in a nutshell. This was a, Italy's uh, entry into the Academy Awards for Best Foreign Picture this year, and it did win. So, Chris, my question to you is very cliche, but why not? I know I don't know if you've seen any of the other films that were nominated for Best Foreign Picture, but only one. Okay, but let's just say face value, 
watched The Great Beauty. Did it deserve to win? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. This will be a this is going to be a very non confrontational review right here. I can go ahead and tell you. I, please, please I think, tell me you why. Know, uh, I'd only seen one other entry, and it was The Hunt, okay. and uh, that was a good film. And we'll discuss more about that when we get to reviewing the Oscars later okay. in our news section. But um, this movie to me was like if David Lynch had done Tree of Life, but had been told. You can't do a lot of really freaky stuff, but you can have as much nudity as you want. And he's like, okay. And you need to shoot it all in Italy instead of like some town with a lot of trees. You got to yeah. shoot it in Italy. You can make it as weird as you want, but you know, not, you know, you got to tone down the nudity and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or not, you know, as weird, but less weird, but as much nudity. So that, that's this movie. And I love David Lynch. So did I love this movie? Absolutely. It reminded me of Holy Motors. Which I still have not seen. Okay. Yeah. It reminded me of that, but Holy Motors was a lot more weird. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, and a lot like nonsensical. But um, this movie lets you interpret what you want to interpret. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is, you gave a very good summary of what this movie's about. But if you hear that summary, you're like, oh, what movie? It's like about Schmidt. Oh, if you know, it's a guy mm-hmm. looking back on his life. Oh, I've seen this movie a hundred times. You've never seen this movie. Mm-hmm. And they, it is two and a half hours. In the introduction for our film society screening that we just finished, you said that this movie was actually three and a half hours and they cut a whole hour out to yep. make it two and a half hours. I'm glad they did that mm-hmm. <laughs> because I can, the film was good, but it's very episodic, very jigsaw puzzle like. Yeah. And it kind of fits together. And I can see how you could easily take an hour of those puzzle pieces out and it still fits together. Could they may have taken some more pieces out? And it would, I don't know. Mm, I, don't I know. can see how the length could be challenging to people. Yeah, a little bit. There's a few scenes that maybe you could argue go on a little too long. Some of the party scenes in the beginning are very, they're long. Yes. But I think that's intentional. I mean, I think we have to, we have to almost feel the over the top pounding in our brainness of those parties to really appreciate the quieter moments even more later on. I, I would agree. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's not just one party scene, but there are several, mm-hmm. but especially that first one is really long. And I guess I can see the rationalization you're saying is the guy, the 65 year old, he's becoming bored of it. Yeah. And so it's important that we become not only irritated by it, but we become bored yeah. of it. So I think that may have been the intention of the filmmaker. Uh, I absolutely loved this movie. <laughs> Good. Unabashedly, I I saw I've seen it twice in 24 hours now, That's true. which is insane for somebody like me to do. But man, this movie has got me on firing ahead on all levels right now. And Tony, Cerv- you, to have a foreign film that was subtitled that you watched twice in mm-hmm. 24 hours—that's saying that is saying a lot. <laughs> a two and a half hour right subtitled foreign film twice in a 24 hour period. Um, I'll tell you, Tony Cervello, who plays Jeb. Okay. I could watch this guy do anything at this point on screen. I mean, his he's just a fascinating character to want to watch. And it didn't matter if it was in a more comedic scene. It didn't matter if it was a dramatic scene. He was just fascinating to watch his face and try to read his emotions. Even when um, he, 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 he he's an interviewer now. He writes, I guess, interview articles so for a magazine. A he's job. a little bit, but it's more like, seems to be kind of just a freelance whenever he feels like it. Right. So he actually goes and reviews or interviews people that are doing performance art seems to be kind of his niche, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we're exposed to about three or four different scenes of performance art. I had the most fun watching his expressions or sometimes lack of expression Mm -hmm. while he's watching some of these artists try to do something profound when he knows down deep, they're not doing anything. They're, 
or else they're exploiting somebody or they're doing something just to get a reaction. Right. That was the most fun part for me is to see him reacting and interacting with the things around him where, yes, he's playing this high life socialite and he does enjoy that life, but he's also seeing the hypocrisy with it all with everything else around him. And he's starting that's starting to click in more, I think, at the 65th birthday than it probably has in his previous 40 years. Uh, it's just really, really fun to watch. Sabrina Ferrelli, who plays Ramona, she's okay. the it, it, you mentioned episodic and you're right. I kind of see the film broken into almost three parts. OK, you've got your first part where it's just getting to know him, getting to know his lifestyle, getting to know who he is. But it basically it ends with him kind of seeking for something, looking for something. Right. Episode two is all about Ramona. It is all about meeting her, spending time with her, enjoying a different walk of life and a different way of viewing things that she brings to the table. Got you. Then third act is all about the saint. I forget the name. He was a, a nun that was being canonized as yes. a saint. It's all about her. Right. So it's kind of your three sections of your movie. It almost is episodic in a way. It's kind I can of, tell you've seen this twice because yeah. I can't wrap my head around it because we just walked out of the screen. But you're, you're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I've had time to digest it. I've slept in between screens. <laughs> there you go. But man, it's just, this is a movie that mixes surreal and beautiful, beautiful scenery. Uh, it mixes odd, interesting characters, but yet at the same time characters that I feel like we know people like, uh, maybe not as exaggerated as the ones we see in the film, but we still know them. Right. Um, great acting, great music, or at least just very interesting use of music throughout the film, uh, for a complete package. I just, I absolutely was blown away by this film. Yeah. The, the use of music did kind of stick out. It opens and you have kind of this oratorio going on with, uh, you know, seemingly acapella, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. know if there were strings accompanying. I think it was, I think just it was acapella. acapella. Yeah. And it's really beautiful. And then not long after that is when you get thrown into the party with this, you know, techno <laughs> music. And they did that a couple of times throughout the film. Mm-hmm. You know, they use that same style, both styles of music, you know, a couple of times. And it was always very effective. Yeah. So it was just a, a lot of thought was put into this movie too. Not that a lot of thought's not put into all movies, but camera work and the pans and the fluid camera reminded me a lot of like tracking shots that like Stanley Kubrick would do if he was doing like a Italy tourism video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. I can <laughs> see that. It was like very just sweeping shots and very interesting shots, not typical shots. There's the end credit sequence actually that uses bridges mm-hmm. and panning up and down to bridges kind of as if it's blocking out and then starting another shot. Just really interesting use of camera. Well, I like too that, you know, it goes back to this whole mixture of style because it really, there was not one style present to this movie. I mean, it had moments that were extremely realistic. It had moments that were fantastical and almost kind of weaving in a little mysticism and magic to a few scenes. But I think, and I don't think there was any desire to crib or try to ape any style from another director, but there are definitely some characters and scenes I think had very much a Cone brother feel to it. Huh, Odd random characters. I'm thinking particularly about the neighbor, the neighbor who lives right above him. Yeah. That you see in passing, you see interaction, you never quite know who he is. He's a little bit of a mystery. We finally get some closure and, and or a resolution to him. But that to me, that was a perfect example of a Coen Brothers character where it's just I can see that. Somebody who's there, you don't know why. There's an odd style to them there's some backstory we don't know and we're still left with probably more questions than we had answers the priest the one who's fascinated by cooking and food stories and doesn't and, end up having depth to share yeah with people that to me is another one of those either a wes anderson or a Cone brothers type of character yeah. where it's just yes there's comedy there but yet there's also some deep messages about 
people who think they're more important than they are. So maybe and, you know. a combination of David Lynch and the Coen brothers. Mm-hmm. I can see that, actually. <laughs> that's that's a good way of looking at it. Weaving in that Terrence Malick scenery and photography right. and, and cinematography. Hmm. I just, I, I really, I really, really enjoyed this film. I would say that if I had to mention, I, I did too, I enjoyed it. If I had to mention a weakness of the film, you were talking about maybe there were some supernatural type mm-hmm. times there's a use of a magic trick with a giant giraffe mm-hmm. and then there's some uh, some flamingos that fly off i have problems with both of those scenes because the use of cgi yeah and that kind was, of took me out because the rest of this movie was very realistic yeah and i wish those two scenes were a little had chosen one of the two yeah because both of them together i was like okay they're using it was just very jarring to see and i understand mm-hmm. why they did it because well, they're trying to animate real animals, and unfortunately, that's it's We're tough to do. Yet. And you can tell that they're animated and seemed. You can just tell that they didn't really move as naturally as as you would expect them to. And I know this sounds like a big, this sounds very petty, and it is. Like I say, I love the mm-hmm. movie, but I feel like at least in the giraffe instance, they could have pulled it off without having to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. They could have used a real giraffe and then like do cutting away. Like yeah. it seems like they could have made it. I'm kind of surprised they they did something animated with the giraffe because you would have thought they could have done something with that, yeah. a real one. But yeah, those minor, were minor exactly point. very minor thing. But I agree with you; those were those were a little problematic for me. I think outside of that, though, I mean, I can't think of a complaint on this film. I can't think of anything I would change or or readdress at all. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a pitch for like the tagline. No, it can't be the tagline of the DVD because then it would kind of ruin the whole movie. But maybe like. I'll do a pitch for like some DVD commentary. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, imagine Alan and I are on the DVD and we're like talking about this movie. I'm going to explain the movie as the opening credits. Well, not the opening credits happen, but after that first party scene, they finally put the title of the movie up. Yep. And basically it's, you know, the grand beauty, but it's set in Italian and you see it kind of reflected behind the city, almost as if the city lights are generating this mm-hmm. title. My interpretation of that is, that's what this writer guy doesn't really understand. He's looking for something. He's searching for beauty. And it's basically all around him. And life is what the grand beauty is. And you just have to kind of open your eyes and enjoy, you know, people dying, people being born, bad things happening, good things happening. And it's kind of like that is the grand experience. And that's why, like, I feel like they did the title that way is because it's kind of setting that. it up that this is the grand beauty. This is the whole thing. Well, I will say uh, I, I could see that. Absolutely. There are some flashback scenes uh, that take place on a cliff with a lighthouse and uh, swimming and, and, and girls watching him swim. I thought were just exquisitely done, especially eh, I don't feel like I'm giving anything away with this. But the first time we cut to one of these flashbacks, we see Jeb as the age we know him, the 65 year old right. swimming. And you're kind of jarred for a second thinking, okay, what's going on? He's out swimming in the ocean. There's a bunch of girls watching him on the side right. about the moment when he comes back up out of the water and he's a young version of himself. And you realize the girls are from the 1950s, 60s. Right. And then you realize that the one girl sitting there is the one that's been in a photograph earlier in the film. And it was his first love. That moment of all that starting to come together is just glorious. I mean, I, all the flashback scenes I thought were really, really well done. They were well shot. They had enough of a dreamlike quality to them. Just great, great shots. Well, and I think that's the thing about this film that even if you don't appreciate, you get annoyed by the subtitles Mm -hmm. or you get annoyed by the length of the film or you get annoyed that it's too disjointed. 
you can still see some of those set pieces like the dream sequences, or I really enjoyed the performance art pieces. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked all of those. The right. very first one was kind of ludicrous, but they actually get more and more meaningful as yes. the film goes on. Yeah. Um, the one with a little girl having to paint kind of like in a Jackson Pollock style mm-hmm. that I thought was really powerful. And then there's one that consists of all these photographs that are taken every day for a year. That was Really oh yeah, awesome. definitely. He he's interviewing these performance artists, and he's very he holds them in a lot of contempt. He kind of sees through the ruse, ruse a lot of time, especially the very first one we come yeah. into contact with, which was just ridiculous. The second one, which is like a portrait with a guy throwing knives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just kind of it's dumb. I right. mean, he's not condemning the art. He's just saying people who try to find too much meaning in some of these high high uh high mental performance artist there's nothing there there's nothing to it but the one that gets to him is the last one we see in the film where he's actually yeah like you said he's interviewing a, a gentleman who has taken a photograph of himself for every day since he was 14 and he was continuing what his parents had done up until that age right so you have an entire wall lifetime, lifetime of every photograph every single day he's been alive and just watching jeb pass through this and how it's affecting him and he's was 65, and yeah. he's just had a birthday. Yeah. And, yep. A lot of things are starting to come into focus for him. It, it, this movie had laugh-out-loud, really funny moments. Had some very, very frank, honest dialogue, especially among 50-, 60-year-olds who are kind of reviewing their life and mm-hmm. comparing their lives a little bit, and a lot of hard, cold facts come out and, and the, as they describe themselves. You know, I think Jeb even had a comment as he was basically – criticizing one of his friends for a life oh, that man. she was leaving, which was, was a brutal scene. Yeah. But you know, the end of that scene was that, that dialogue he's telling her, he says, instead of trying to hold yourself up so high and look down on us, you ought to be admiring us. You ought to be like at our level. You ought to be, we're all in tatters. We're all in the same spot. You ought to like be appreciative of us for it. And that was so telling because everybody in that room hearing that it's like silence, silent acceptance. It's like, yep, he's, he's pretty, much, pretty right. much right. Yep. Yeah. And that was, brutal to hear and it was it was very truthful and honest so you had those great moments of comedy and bizarre mixed with very very real honest depictions of people at crossroads in their lives added to beautiful scenery with some very bizarre shots as well it's just it's a very interesting mixed film and I, i loved every moment of it i'm gonna go back a little bit on something i said but i still didn't like the cgi flamingos but a key scene to me that was in that third part that you mentioned about the nun was at first, she is kind of played for laughs. She's mm. ancient. I think at one point they say she's 104. 104. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's being canonized. They're going to make her a saint. And he's there ostensibly because they hope to be able to get an interview with her for the right. magazine. So he has her for a dinner party. And it's a lot of it's played for laughs. But she does have a scene where he finally does get to kind of be one-on-one with her a little bit and mm-hmm. talk to her. And I really, really like that scene. And mm-hmm. the flamingos, while fake, kind of do play a part. And I was actually ended up being okay with it. But yeah. I thought that was a very, very powerful scene where she kind of delivers a message about roots being important. And that was well, that was powerful. It, it, you know, I could go on to this film for for hours. <laughs> I'm going to try to cut it off here in a second. But I will say one other thing I really liked about the film is it really played with expectations. Sure. And really diverted your expectations almost every step of the way. A couple of examples. The Ramona, the girl that we meet. Mm-hmm. In a strip club. Yeah. But we have a very much a pretty woman kind of scenario for a while where actually it's the stripper with the heart of gold type of idea. And it's like she's going to kind of open his eyes up to being past the mediocrity and kind of look at things for what they really are. Mm-hmm. And then something happens in that relationship and it's like 
it's gone. It's gone. You know, and it's like, and it just kind of ripped out from under you. And where you think I, you know where the movie is going with this character, it's like, nope, she's she's out of the picture now. Yeah. And that was very jarring. Um, sure. The woman that we talked about that Jeb kind of just brutally criticized and picks apart during a, a dinner get together comes to find out at the end they're they're dancing and they're friends. I mean, they even though yes, they just completely got each other's throat and just really picked each other apart. They still in the end were friends and, you know, played with those expectations of those relationships as well. Right. Uh, the nun or the woman who's going to become a saint, like you said, right. looks like it's going to be comic relief for most of the scene. And then come to find out she's one of the most impactful characters on Jeb. Mm-hmm. So it's just you're playing with what you expect or where you think the film's going. It does a great job of diverting those just about every time it can. So I said it was worthy of winning the Oscar. You're saying absolutely. Oh, absolutely. It should have gotten Best Picture. Honestly, I think, you know, I, I think it could have been in the running for me as Best Picture overall. I guess Life is Beautiful was a foreign mm-hmm. film that won for it Best It did win. Film. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 possible. It's been done before, and it should have been. Now, I'm not saying 12 Years a Slave is not a, a bad <laughs> It's a good film. But sure. this one got to me a whole lot on a deeper level than 12 Years a Slave did. So that's the great beauty. Uh, I don't know when it comes out on iTunes, DVD, or anything. It should be relatively soon because it has been out for a little while. Sure. But um, it's a 2013 film, so here we are, 2014. You should have some ways to see it pretty soon. If anything we're talking about has sparked your interest, we both wholeheartedly endorse it and uh, recommend you check it out. So let's change cultures. Let's change environment and everything as we go on to our next film, which is the Saudi Arabian film Wajida. The 2012 film, Alan Wajda, mm-hmm. when I heard the premise of it, it reminded me a little bit of Children of Heaven, which is an Iranian film. Let me first talk yes. about Wajda, then I'll talk about Children of Heaven, and okay. let me tell, see what you think about what you thought about Wajda and how it compares. So Wajda is the story of a Saudi girl, from, and she wants a bicycle, basically. Mm-hmm. And so she then enters a competition at her school to study the Quran and be competitive with it. And if she wins the prize money, she'll get to get this bike. That Which she wants. she wants to use to race against her best friend, a, a boy in the community. Correct. So, so that's, that's the you know, summary from IDB, mm-hmm. IMDB about Wajda. Children of Heaven was from Iran. And that was about some kids who needed some money for shoes. And they went to Great Leaks to try to get shoes. And they ended up having a race. And it was very important in that movie. So it was like kids struggling and getting shoes. This is girls struggling getting bike. So when I heard about this Mm -hmm. film, I was like, well, I've already seen Children of Heaven. Why bother seeing Wajda? It'll pretty much be the same thing. You'd seen Children of Heaven before Mm -hmm. seeing Wajda. What were your thoughts going in? And then how did you feel after seeing the movie? Oh, well, I think you summed it up pretty good. I mean, unfortunately, how stereotypical is that of us as Americans to say, oh, it's a movie from another country country that we don't see a whole lot of movies from. And it sounds like they've got a similar plot. 
and it's probably going to be the same. And, you know, I, I, I would hate to think, you know, in other countries, people see the some of the movies we turn out here in oh, America. And, we turn and out it's about as derivative it's about as derivative as it can be. So I feel it's a little unfair. I I hate that mentally we go to comparing these two films because it's two of the only films we've seen from these countries that just happen to have a similar storyline. But, but you're right. from Saudi Arabia, one's from Iran. Yeah, but, but you're right. It is true. It's, it's, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, I will say I like this movie better than oh, Children of Heaven. Absolutely. I think this movie had, had more personality to it, and I felt like I learned more about the culture Absolutely. of the country around me where Children of Heaven just never connected with me. I just, I don't know what it was. It was, it had more of a, I mean, I hate saying this, it had more of a TV movie feel to it. It did. As opposed to watching I mean, it, felt like a, a real film. it's a lot older than this yeah. film. This is 2000, yeah. But this film really felt like a film. And, I agree. But I will say, I liked it. I mean, I didn't love it, but what, I did admire it probably more than anything because the background of this movie is this was the first film to be completely made in Saudi Arabia. Which is amazing in Which itself. is amazing in itself, but also the first Saudi Arabian female director to make a film, which is knowing the Saudi culture is really, really an, an accomplishment. Supposedly, even while making the film, she on the street is not allowed to interact with men that were in the film. So she's having to direct from a van with walkie talkies, Wow, you know, just a lot of challenges in making the film that in itself, watching, knowing that perspective of things really helped me admire the film a lot more. But overall, I, I liked the film. I thought it was good. It was a good movie. Considering the situation it was produced under, I thought it was an incredible accomplishment. Well, I, I'm on the same page with you. I appreciated this film much more than I did Children of mm-hmm. Heaven. And I kind of set that comparison up because I actually was glad that it way exceeded my expectations because it was much more than just a similar film. You mm-hmm. know? Um, I really enjoyed the honesty that it talked about in this movie, her mother, the girl's mother has a strained relationship with her father mm-hmm. and it does not shy away from the culture there that allows men to take more than one wife mm-hmm. and how that's dealt with. I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And it also deals with the Quran and, you know, girls not wanting to obey and cover up with burqas and stuff like that. And I thought that was very, I think that's what you call, I know it's in some Muslim countries they cover mm-hmm. up with a burqa. I think that's sure. what it's called. But anyways, yeah. okay. um, I thought that was very interesting because the girl does not want to cover up and mm-hmm. gets in trouble at school for covering up. But then she sees kind of a reality of men leering at her construction workers. And you mm-hmm. think that's kind of a stereotype here in America. You have the, you know, in New York, you walk down the street and a pretty girl walks by and the construction right. workers make comments. And you see that, no, that takes place everywhere. And mm-hmm. the the sense of menace that has kind of at one point, I was kind of surprised at. And I think, as you pointed out, the fact that this was directed by a woman, it was a Saudi Arabian film. It's very, very, very impressive. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I thought I thought it was a very good movie. Uh, it was had a good message. I thought it was simple enough, but yet it also spoke to a much bigger societal and cultural issues and concerns, and also some things about the culture that they really held up and revered as well. So it was not a it wasn't an indictment. It wasn't trying to cast stones at the Saudi culture. It was more of a no. This is just what it's like. Here's the good and here's the bad. There's mm-hmm. there's both sides of it, and. Um, and I will say, too, one of the things I appreciated is the movie does have a pretty simple storyline. Um, you know, she wants this bike. She gets a competition. You know, will she get the bike? Will she not get the bike? But actually, some of the ways that it gets to the end of the film, I was kind of surprised 
that it took some less conventional. I don't want to ruin yeah. the film for anyone, sure. but it, it took some less conventional mm-hmm. choices and made some things turn out not as happy as they could have. And I was Absolutely. surprised that they decided to do that rather than make a quote unquote crowd pleasing film. Or something. I mean, you, you watch the film and obviously the, the, the acquisition of the bike stands for a lot more for sure. this girl. Sure. And you know, they don't hit you over the head with symbolism and trying to make, you know, that it, it's all about feeling confined and, and forced into a culture that maybe she wish she could be more expressive or be more who she wants to be. It's, it's very simplest form. The message is there. The, the movie just does a very good job of, may, of of getting to that message in a very realistic way without force feeding anything or without being ham fisted with it. So I felt, I felt good about it. I liked it. I'll throw one more thing out. You know, I guess I'm just trying to say how much more I like this from the children of heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. The view into politics and mm-hmm. politics within their neighborhoods yeah. that I never really had a sense of that in other countries. And, you know, this kind of gave you a sense of there's somebody running, I guess it was a mayoral type. I, I can't recall, but yes, there was a political race going on and people seem to be very, uh, hold a lot of allegiance to their tribe. And that, that they, the family they belong about to the tribes yeah. in the Middle East and how they talk about that and how that's very important. And I felt there again, it, not that I understand it now, but it gave me a little bit more of a window. And so mm-hmm. from a foreign film, that's kind of something I want. I really appreciated that from Wajda. I will tell you, it's interesting. We're reviewing this right after the great beauty. Cause honestly, these two films have probably given me more insight to the countries that they represent than I've had uh, for either of those countries in a really, really long time with mm-hmm. any other experience. I think they did a great job in both films of really getting us a feel for some of the cultural aspects of these countries that we don't get to experience very often. Waja does, does a great job with that. So I, I definitely admire it and appreciate it for what they did. Agreed. Good. So that's our two reviews for today, two different uh, foreign films that we wanted to bring to your attention. Uh, Waja, I know you can get online through iTunes and some other places and Amazon. Uh, great beauty should be out on those those platforms in the next few months so we encourage both films are worth checking out at this point we're going to take a quick little break when we come back we'll hit some news some very quick oscar recaps and close out the show with our recommendations of films we think you ought to check out online so stay tuned we'll be right back with foot candle films we'll get back to your show in a moment just a reminder you're listening to the mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. I'm Alan. This is Chris. And we are here talking films and movies. We just finished reviewing uh, The Great Beauty and Wajida, two great foreign films we think you guys ought to check out when you have a chance. Uh, before we move on to our news, just a reminder that you are listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. That is our uh, online podcast network of shows, original shows, that we are broadcasting from right here in Western North Carolina. You can go visit us on TheMesh.TV to see all the other shows on The Mesh Network. You can also go back in time and watch or listen to any of the shows here on Foot Candle Films that we've put out. We have, gosh, how many episodes are we up to now, Chris, if you had to guess? 
Oh, man. We had like 40, 50, 50, 50 60s. Wow. Ballpark. We've been going, we've been doing this for like 50 episodes almost. It's probably a pretty good guess. So, yeah, we've been doing this for a while, and you've got a lot of episodes, a lot of archive shows you can go back and listen to. But there's also shows on other topics like business, education, music. We've got a lot of sports shows on the network. So, a lot of great stuff to check out there on themesh.tv. Uh, give us a listen. Give us a rating on iTunes. We'd really like to get your feedback with comments or star ratings on our shows. Comments Always, are great. Star ratings even better. Even better. And even easier <laughs> to do is the click of a mouse is all you got to do. All right. Well, Chris, the Academy Awards ceremony, the 86th Academy Awards just took place, what, two weeks ago, I guess? Something like that. Something like that. Uh, you and I, you know, we normally have had an Oscar party for our film society. We took a break this year. It was actually kind of nice to... Be in my pajamas, laying on the couch, (laughs) watching the Academy Awards, you know, and just kind of relaxing with it. It So we took a little year off and just kind of enjoyed some family time as the ceremonies were on this year. Did did you watch the ceremonies? I did. Yeah, I got to I skip too. the red carpet stuff there. I oh, yeah, no, no, you started. can't watch the red carpet <laughs> stuff. That stuff's ridiculous. Speaking of the great beauty, that would be the blah 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 stuff that Exit, we yes. that we've got to get past. Um, <laughs> So let's just real quick, I know you and I both put together our picks, and I'll go ahead and let everybody know, yes, Chris trounced me on this year's picks. How many did you get right? I got 17 of the 20. I think I had 13 right. So, yeah, you got me on this year. So what film do I have to go see? Well, It's the lowest rated uh, Rotten Tomatoes one. Is that what we said? That's what we said was we were going to choose the lowest rated Rotten Tomatoes film, and then you would go and see it, and then on a subsequent show you would give a quick – it would be the first – Alan Jackson minute review. We usually yeah. had that Chris Fryer two minutes sixty seconds. All right. Well, here just because we're on, we're recording this right now as we talk, and sure. I'm actually pulling up Rotten Tomatoes. We're going to find out what that <laughs> film is. I have to see. So it's Excellent. one I got to actually go to the movie theater to see. Right. right. I mean, that's that's only fair. That's what I would have made you do if you had won. <laughs> so, um, so let's look at the box office that's on going on right now, and I am looking for the lowest one rating. Right now, I am seeing the lowest score for the current top box office is the film Ride Along with 17%. I think that is excellent. Really? I mean, you, I mean you, excellent okay. for you to go see. Not me. No, no, I understand. I, I'm just I was hoping you'd maybe let me get out of that one. But it sounds like that's going to be the one because as I'm sorting them, I'm looking at a much longer list. Um, there are a few on here that are... Even lower than Ride Along, but I don't think they're actually in the movie theater anymore. Right. Oh, wait a minute. Nope. I do have a couple more options. You you choose the one I go see, Chris. Okay. So we have Ride Along starring Kevin Hart, who makes my skin crawl. He is so annoying to me. <laughs> we have The Legend of Hercules, uh, which has a 3%. Whoa. But I, I don't know any movie theater that's playing that. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to go and tell you. If you want me to go to a movie theater, I could not tell you where The Legend of Hercules is playing. Okay. You may have to go out of state to find yeah. that one. I, Frankenstein... has a 4%. Wow. That was the film that was gracing the movie screen right after The Great Beauty when we left the movie theater (laughs) tonight. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. How bizarre was that? The Great Beauty, to me, one of what I think probably the best films I've seen in a while, with a 4% I, Frankenstein, to follow shortly afterwards. Nice. Then there's The Nut Job, which is also playing at our local local downtown theater. And then we've got Ride Along. So, of those four, which you want me to go to? Well, of those... Three that I could see. Ride along, the nut job, or I Frankenstein. Which one do I have to go see? You know what? 
the nice guy that I am, I'm going to let you pick because it's going to be kind of choose your poison. So, mm-hmm. so well, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm going to pass on animated nut job just because I think that's a cheat. I think okay. that's an easy way out. Okay. I think you got Because it's probably the shortest of all three. Yeah, it's probably shortest <laughs> okay. and all. And I'm, I can guarantee it's going to be your pandering, typical animated family film. Sure. Make me go see Ride Along. Okay. That's fine. I'll go all see right. it. Ride Along. Yeah, why not? Okay. I will go see Ride Along, the 17% Rotten Tomato rated Ride Along. With Ice Cube and, and Kevin, Kevin Hart. Hart. I will see it. Okay. And I will give a minute review on our next recording episode. Excellent. All right. You may be That's... able to give the review in 15 seconds. Oh, but, boy. Okay. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Cool. All right. So that'll be 90 minutes. I will not get back in my life. Okay. <laughs> good. Let's move on to some maybe higher quality films to talk about. And that would be the actual winners of the Academy Awards. We're not going to run through all the list here. I just want to kind of hit some quick highlights for you, Chris. Okay. Right off the bat, were there any surprises for you? Like awards that just, wow, did not expect that at all. Yes. What was that? Um, right documentary the, feature. Documentary feature. Yeah. Yes, that was one. we I had picked Active Killing. Mm-hmm. And instead, 20 Feet from Stardom won. Which I picked. I didn't, oh, you did? I did. I got that one oh, right. Man. I did not. Because I want, talked against it. Well, I did not want that one to win, okay. but that's the one I did pick, and I was right on that okay, one. Okay, you know, and I think if I had used my crystal ball a little bit and my, like, legends of the Oscar winners, I think what happened is the square act of killing and um, one other one that I'm forgetting right now, Dirty Wars, I think was that. The, mm-hmm. Those three canceled each other out. Yeah, they were very similar in their top subject matter. serious, like dealing with war and killing. And so it kind of all canceled out. Cutie and the Boxer was okay, but between that and 20 Feet from Stardom, that was a much better film. And so I think that kind of worked its mojo, and that's why I won. I I agree with you. That's that's why I really honestly picked it, thinking it would win, because I thought that one one just – I think rises above the depression and the war and everything else that these other films were going for. So. I understand. Yeah. So other than that, was there any surprise? I was surprised at two others. Okay. Director, best director going mm-hmm. to Alfonso Cuaron. Surprise think, or disappointed? You know, it's, I, th- it's hard. I was surprised. Disappointed. It's hard for me to really say because I did pick it for a lot of the effects categories and cinematography. You know, I picked it for a lot of other categories. And I guess when it came down to directing, I was thinking of him more directing the actors and that there wasn't really a lot of direction there as opposed to him maybe having to direct the cameraman like I want these type of movements so I can create these type of images. I don't know. I, I, I still feel like there were other better directed films but mm-hmm. i guess i don't know the complexity that it took to make the film so it's it's hard for me to kind of wrap my head around it well you so. know the whole the whole digital cinematography and motion capture and cgi is really making it interesting to know whose role is really instrumental in making the film i think i agree with you the director call i think the director kind of just gets championed as the one the end result. I mean, who who is responsible for kind of bringing it all together? Hmm. And if they're looking at it from that perspective, then sure, Quran did a great job with Gravity. I, I just think you know the special effects guys, which did win an Oscar, so You're I right. mean they got they got recognized. The sound effects guys got recognized for it. Cinematography got recognized for it. So all of the technical awards went to Gravity, and I think it was more of a matter of you know the director was still the one that brought it all together. But I or do think maybe his vision. Yeah, to make it but I do think these are going to pose some interesting questions in the years to come, because I could see somebody as a digital effects supervisor saying, "I mean, I pretty much directed the film. 
you know, because well, I'm plotting out all these cinema, these visual shots. Does the director actually sit there and draw out exactly what the CGI shot is going to look like? Or does he describe it to the visual effects guy and the visual effects guy creates the scene? That's where that questioning is of whose role is what. Well, and it's it's kind of an interesting thing, too. Last year, Life of Pi's director, Ang Lee, won for Best Director, I think. Mm-hmm. And I he was did. shocked at that. Before the same similar reason, Argo won for Best Picture. And it was kind yeah. of like, you know, what? You know, because basically Life of Pi was nothing to me but a spectacle of special effects. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't like the movie. Unlike Gravity, which I did like okay. Yeah. But so it was just, I don't know, it's an interesting thing now. Like, are his best director now always going to go to, like, some big special effects spectacle for the director? And then best picture is going to go for what they really think is a good movie? I don't know. There's a little bit of a trend there. Uh, I think between that question and the one about motion capture that we tackled with Rise of the Planet of the Apes a couple years ago. Which has a sequel coming It does. But, you know, that was a movie where somebody... Uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Andy Circus. Andy Circus motion captured the the lead monkey in the film, right. and a lot of people claiming that you know, hey, that was a performance that actually could have gotten nominated for a, a an acting role. And then the whole question comes up: Was it the guy in the motion capture suit, or was it the animators and effects guys who really made the role? Mm-hmm. It's a tough call, and I think right. we're seeing the same thing with directors in a heavy, heavy CGI spectacle film. So, uh, all right, but moving back on to uh, other Oscar winners, what was your other surprise? Got one more. Okay. And this was a disappointment and a surprise. And you're laughing because I know you know what I'm going to yeah. say. Best original screenplay, her, uh, Spike Jones winning. I was just, obviously. You were disappointed because you didn't like the film. You I was didn't disappointed like the because I didn't like the film. I thought it was an interesting idea, but just thought it really fell flat. And so for that to win. Best original screenplay. I was like, best original idea? Maybe. Best original screenplay? No. Well, you and I disagree on that because I did like the screenplay. I was very happy to see uh, Mr. Jones up on stage winning. It was a lot of fun. I thought it deserved it. It was the one I picked. I wanted it to win. I got those were two I got right. Wow. Uh, They were two of the few I got right, but uh, I did get those (laughs) right. I'll say for me, other than the ones you just mentioned, I really, there were no surprises. I mean, everything you could have mapped out. 12 Years a Slave, best picture, sure. Uh, best actor, Matthew McConaughey. I, I was questioning whether it was going to go that way. I think the weeks leading up to the, the, the ceremony, that was kind of the heavy buzz. And I thought, well, that's probably where it's going to go. Uh, Lapita Nyong'o for uh, 12 Years a Slave. We both, we I think, both had her down. That. Yep, she deserved to win that. Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine. Yeah, I picked it. Yeah, and I mean, that was, <laughs> I, I haven't seen Blue Jasmine. That's one I, of the few. It's good. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So I felt like, you know, I think we knew there was some good energy behind her going into the, in the, in the ceremony as well. Gravity getting all the technical awards, Frozen getting everything it could get. You know, it was pretty predictable ceremony, I think, overall. True. The, the documentary was, was the, really the one that surprised me. I just I was really, really surprised at that. was shocked as much as the act of killing was getting so much buzz and just so interestingly made and just such a story behind it. It's a shame it didn't get that recognition for it, so... Anyway, what do you think of the ceremony in general? I mean, just from a, I know we we focus more on the the production awards, the technical awards, and all that. But from a from a pageantry side of things on the show, I mean, how'd you feel it went? I, you know, I I feel like it went pretty smoothly. I liked it better if you're going to try to compare hosts. I liked it better than when Seth MacFarlane hosted it the year before. Yeah, I thought it went pretty much as fast as it could. Um, I didn't feel like they they threw in maybe one or two. Mini montages? There were two montages that I thought were redundant and weird. They were both about heroes or both oh. about something. And it's just, it was kind of odd. Yeah. Um, 
I still don't understand when your biggest – the biggest thing people complain about the ceremony is that it lasts too long. Right. Why in the world as a producer of the show you feel the need to throw in another five, six-minute montage of think, films? be honest, which they actually made this long too, which bothered me. The only montage that anybody wants to see or needs to see is the one that shows everybody who's passed away. Yeah. That's the one that I like every year. Well, because it, there's at least some meaning to it. Right. And know. I think cut out all the other montages. Yeah. I just agree. Have, just have that one in there. This year, it irritated me, though, because the big deal was the buzz before the Oscars. Bette Miller was going to sing on stage for the first time in I don't know how many years. Okay, fine. But I feel like she could have sung while that montage was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And instead, they had the montage. And then brought her out just to perform Wind Beneath My Wings. I'm like, this is a boring music video. At least yeah. if I would have seen pictures of people who'd passed away during the year, it would have made it more interesting. So I felt like they could have done that. I will say the nominees for Best Original Song, having all four of those performances up on stage, I thought was really cool. Uh, yeah, but it made me mad because they didn't do it for the song of last year, Man or Muppet. From the Muppet no, no, movie. I agree. It, it, it's a shame. They should al- always have the best original song performed. I, I would agree. rather watch those four or five performances than to see more montages. Absolutely. So I thought showing all four performances of the songs was great. And all four performances were, were good to watch. I mean, they were fun, very diverse group of songs to, to enjoy. Did you notice that much that John Travolta massacred that one girl's name? I, I did not. I really, I, I tuned these pompous actors out when they're up on stage i really don't pay much attention to them uh so i didn't realize until i read afterwards that he right. butchered her name and felt really bad for her so yeah I, I didn't actually yeah notice that much either yeah. so i just all i remember is john travolta looking at the crowd and saying i love you and i thought okay <laughs> that's creepy <laughs> so, well he's kind of creepy yeah, so. he's got he's got something going on there so uh so that's the oscars i i enjoyed it it was fine i, yeah. I i'm not a pageantry guy i don't need the celebrities being cute and having you know talking about how great life is and how fun their front row seats are and all that you know i just i want to see the people making these films get recognized and that's what i'm all about i could have done without the i thought the pizza gag was okay maybe run a little bit long the whole twitter thing i thought was annoying the twitter it's just it's always it's always upsetting to me that the first two or three rows you look at are always the big movie stars sure and you know the technical guys the directors are normally tucked in the back I mean, honestly, when you watch, like they name, you know, they call out best costuming. Honestly, they were in the back of the theater. It was like having to come up. Right. The documentary guys are way tucked around a corner somewhere. Sure. That's always a shame. You know, I know you got to put the Brad Pitts and all that in the front row, but come on. It's just, if you're going to celebrate the whole picture of a, a movie, let's really celebrate it and make them all feel like we're on equal ground, not cater to the big, hot, young stars in the front. So that's just, that's me. I get a little sick of it, but. Uh, it's still a fun ceremony. True. And I think what can redeem it is a speech like best supporting actress, Lupita Nyong'o for it. Like it was very her, good. It was genuine. And I hate yeah. to say it, not to say that seasoned older actors who've been nominated several times can't give a genuine speech, but like she's a kind of a fresh face and her speech was like, it's like, yeah, this is what the Oscars is about. Somebody does a really good job. They're rewarded. Instead of being pompous or whatever, they're genuinely moved. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's kind of. It's cool. rare, but there were a couple <laughs> of those. There were a couple of those this year. I thought there were good speeches. I actually thought Matthew McConaughey was kind of fun on stage, you know? Okay. Admission. I fell asleep before oh, his speech. Yes. And I have yet to watch it on YouTube. I liked Jared Leto's acceptance speech. Yeah, I thought this was good. interesting. So, Matthew McConaughey, yeah, I only right. know what I've heard. Interesting. People seem to think that some people are slamming him thinking he was very like pompous. 
because of references he made to like my like hero who I looked up to as myself. Well, that was a little, like, but I understand what he's saying. Okay. He basically said, you know, I, I, who do I look for? Who do I look to? I look to myself in 10 years. That's who I strive to be. And that's who I kind of try to, that's my hero. Okay. I know it sounds so pompous to say okay. I'm your, my own hero, but he's <laughs> setting, he's talking about setting high goals for himself all the time, which I, I understand. I get it. Okay. I thought he was honest. I thought he was pretty sincere up there. So okay. for what it's worth. So uh, I should watch his speech on YouTube? Well, you need to watch his speech and then you need to watch Saturday Night Live do a, a takeoff on his speech because oh. it is absolutely hilarious. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Awesome. So that's, uh, that's our news. I just wanted to talk to Oscar a little bit. We'll, we'll kind of wrap it up with that. I think, uh, Overall, it was a good ceremony. Not a lot of surprises, but fun fun to watch as it is. So let's move on to our, our picks. Chris, let's talk about a film. This is how we always end up the show. We talk about a film that is available online or available easy for people to get access to that you could honestly, the minute you turn off this, this, this podcast, like you've taken it off your headphones, <laughs> you could walk to your TV and within a couple clicks on the internet, actually be watching this movie. That's the whole goal with these picks. So Chris... What is your pick you've got for us that fits that uh, fits that description? Well, in keeping with our earlier theme of having foreign films, yes. my film is going to be a foreign film. Okay, nice. It's, it's a 2013 film from Hong Kong called Drug War. Hmm. And it's by a director who apparently has made other movies, but I have not seen any of them. Johnny Toe is his name. Okay. And he's kind of like, reminds me of something like a Quentin Tarantino for China, maybe. If you haven't seen his other films, but clever dialogue, some characters that are larger than life, and that's what Quentin Tarantino also does really well. I really liked this film, basically because I thought I was going into it just going to see another cop movie, because it's about you know a drug war, about the cops against the drug, drug lords. And it was much more than that. It was kind of a combination of the storytelling of traffic, and almost like an Ocean's Eleven approach to police work because it was mm-hmm. this big, huge cast of police who all had different roles. and They were all doing different things to try to keep up with the drug lords. And it was a lot more complicated and intricate than I thought it would be. It's it's violent. Let me yeah. warn you against sure. that, which is kind of a Tarantino Sounds like it aspect. Would be. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's really, really well done. Drug and, war. And well shot. Hmm. Yeah. So pretty simple title, but that's what it's about. Is well, I've heard of the director. I'm not, you okay. know, I don't think I've seen any of his films, but that's interesting. So that's available on Netflix? Is it, it is. A, it's uh, available on Netflix Instant. So very cool. Check it out. Nice. Well, I'm going to break and not do a foreign recommendation. I know every film we've talked about just about has been foreign film, and this is not. <laughs> it's a breath but, of fresh air. But I, and mine is not a traditional movie that you would go on Netflix or iTunes to watch. You can actually watch this one for free at any time on a website. Okay. It's not a home movie of yours. <laughs> no, that'll <laughs> okay. be my pick next episode. Okay. If you, if you go to the website extension765.com. Oh, wait. You know where I'm going with this. I do. I didn't know that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Please continue. It's the psycho thing, right? Yep. Okay. Extension765 is a website that Steven Soderbergh has put out some work on. Kind of a creative outlet site, if you will. He's just got some random stuff up there. So he did an experiment, which on the surface, okay, you're going to hear this, people listening at home, I'm talking to you directly. You're going to hear about this, this experiment of a film and think, that's stupid, but bear with me. We've talked about the film Psycho. We did a uh, kind of a flashback review of it last October. It's in the archives. You can check it's it out. It's in the archives. I've mentioned it several times in passing how much I love the original uh, Alfred Hitchcock Psycho. And you yeah. have never seen the remake. I've never seen the remake. And neither have until I. Until parts of now. Right. Here's what Steven Soderbergh did. Sounds very simple on the surface. He took the two versions of Psycho, 
the Alfred Hitchcock version from 1960, and then the something or another, I don't even was know what the year 90s, it was. I yeah, guess, with Anne Heche and is it Vince Vaughn? Vince Vaughn. Okay. Which nobody really liked. I mean, it was a shot for shot remake of the right. movie. Right. Seemed kind of pointless. In color. Soderbergh has gone and merged the two together. And again, you may th- say that sounds really stupid. And actually, when I heard that, I thought, well, that seems stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that seems stupid. But you watch it, and there is actually a logic to it. So you're watching the film, and it starts in the 1960 version, and then occasionally it will cut to the more modern version. Hmm. It's a little jarring, and you're seeing characters change. But after trying to figure out what is going on, I think I know. Oh, wow. Okay. I think I know what Soderbergh was doing. Is it? Does it run the full length of the film? Yes. Okay. It is every scene. Okay. It is every shot. Okay. He made the conscious decision to do everything black and white. Okay. So even though the more modern version was broadcast in color when it came out, right. he has now made it black and white. Okay. The only scene that's in color, shower scene. Wow. Interesting. And there is a reason for the shift between the old and the new. Okay. There is a very... As I've gone back and watched parts of it again, I totally get it now. So you've watched it more than once? I've scanned through parts of it again to try to see if I could understand why he would mix them like this. Okay. And there is a reason for it. The whole movie with Psycho is it has a lot to do with people's perception of you. Okay. And if you'll notice when you watch it, the old original 1960s is when people are reflecting. It's just them, the real them, Mm -hmm. where the more modern version is where other people are watching the characters. So it's a change in perspective. Huh. When somebody is being perceived or watched or being looked at in a different way, the shots change. Hmm. It's really cool when you like start to click it in, what's going on. Anyway, you go to the website, extension three, what did I say? 765. What was that number? Extension 765.com. It's right there on the front page. You click the play button. You got an hour and a half movie to watch of psychos with an S psychos. (laughs) Right does there he do, as does he do the titles or how does he? I'm trying to remember. I think the titles were the original titles, but I think he mixed in. I think he merged them just enough to where it showed both sets of names. Oh, wow. Yeah. You got a, got a question. Can't help it. Sure. So he doesn't take this opportunity to edit out the really painful scene at the end with the explanation that no. we harped on. No, no this does is he not use a, the color version of it. Or is he? No, it's all black and white. No. Does he use the original black and white version of it? Oh, the guy like lecturing us, telling us. I think it's a mixture of the two. Oh, really? um, okay. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I think it mixes between the two. Okay. Um, hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And there's some others creative elements like some of the more more dramatic scenes which by me that i mean like at the end when miss bates yes okay that ending scene with the knife and all that he does some creative editing montage between both could see how that with goes. a mixture sometimes there's overlapping scenes mm-hmm. and all that so those are creative licensing he does something a little different to it than wow. what you would expect but the rest of the film he plays it as cuts between the two the two versions is very very interesting so he did side effects, then he did behind the candelabra, and now he's done with filmmaking, and now he's just going to do little fun things like editing. I don't know. I just I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm going to like Psychos, and I I hope that he doesn't decide to quit because he's he's got so many good ideas. Well, he's still a creative guy. He's still one of our more creative filmmakers. We have that he's willing to take adventures and do something different. Right. 
which I think, you know, not enough directors are, are, are daring enough to try those things. So Agreed. I, I, have you seen behind the candelabra? I have not. Um, yeah. I'm interested because I heard good things about it, but I, I have not seen, I don't know if it's streaming. It's not streaming on Netflix yet. I don't believe, but I don't know. I think you can purchase it in iTunes. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it's, a, I think it's available now. Uh, yeah, you had to have HBO to see it at first. And, uh, have you now, seen it? I've seen parts of it. Okay. Yeah. I've saw parts of it. Uh, I, I, I don't have HBO, but I was with somebody at their place where they did. And I turned it on and watched a little bit of it just to kind of get a feel for the tone of it and all. Got so, you. Um, are you interested in checking it out at some point? I, I am. I'm not eagerly looking forward to seeing it. I mean, I, I really don't have any interest in the topic and subject uh, matter. Or anything, I could care less about, but the fact Soderberg. that, yeah, the fact that Soderbergh's doing it and yeah. I heard Rob Lowe's apparently amazing. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, that's our two picks. So we had Drug War, kind of following in our foreign film league. And then I took a detour and pointed everybody to an online experimental film of Psychos, merging the two versions of Psycho. So that's our picks. That's our show. Great beauty. Big thumbs up. Uh, leg, uh, 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 um, shoot, what was the other one we did? What was it? Awajda. Awajda. Thumbs up. Both liked it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drug War, Psychos, Oscars. Good show. And don't forget... Next show, without a doubt, Alan's going to review. What's the name of that movie? Ride Along. Ride Along. Yeah. Alan's going to take a ride along. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yes, I cannot wait till we record our next episode. That'll be awesome. (laughs) So thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, If you have any comments for us, questions, you can go to themesh.tv and look up. There's a contact us form there. Uh, You can go and check out other episodes. You can leave comments on the website. If you're interested in what we're doing as a film society, just in general, to see what kind of films we've been watching and, and all that, you can go visit our film society website at footcandle.org, footcandle.org. Go there and you can see the films we've shown. You can see the films we are getting ready to show. So you can get a little bit of an idea of which films we're probably going to be talking about more in our upcoming review shows as well. And I think that's the best way to contact us and get a hold of us. Apple iTunes, star ratings, comments, any way that you can help us promote the show. We certainly appreciate it as much as we can. We're also in Letterboxd. Oh, yeah, with Letterboxd. That's where we log uh, whenever we see films. We actually put it up there. Chris is much better at writing some short little pithy comments and and reviews than I am. (laughs) I just give the star ratings and tell people when I saw the film. But if you're curious to see films we're watching or if you are compiling your movie list and you want to share it with us, We'd love to find out what you're up to. So let us know if you're on Letterboxd. We'd love to connect with you there as well. So for Foot Candle Films, we're going to wrap it up. Chris, thanks a lot, man. It was a pleasure. Yep. Enjoyed it as always. We'll look forward to talking to everybody in our next episode. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.